Hi, I'm Scott Hodge, president of the Tax Foundation. Well, it's a it's a new year, and I'm delighted you all joining us uh, for one of the first Tax Foundation podcasts of the year. I'm delighted to be joined by our Tax Foundation economist, Erica York, uh, to talk about what is really one of the more misunderstood issues in tax policy, tariffs. Depending upon your perspective, tariffs are either a great way to punish and then really tax uh, countries such as China for their protectionist trade policies, or tariffs are a big reason why all those imported toys and clothes and so forth, uh, all the gifts that you bought back in December, cost a whole lot more than you expected. So uh, we got a big topic. It's a really interesting one and very uh, hopefully we'll bring a different perspective on it. So welcome, Erica. Uh, thank you for joining me. Uh, Erica is one of our, our remote workers in the remote state of Kansas, <laughs> flyover country. Uh, how are things going in Kansas these days? They're going great. Yeah, I got a jump start on that remote work before everyone else had to go remote because of the pandemic. So I had a little head start and I actually love working remote. Really? You, you, you don't miss us? You don't miss being in the office around? Of course, none of us are in the office right now. But uh, well, obviously, you're extremely productive. So there's probably no one on the team that produces as much as you do. So it does seem to suit you very well. Yeah, I like it. I do miss being in the office and seeing people, but I think it'd be a really hard adjustment to have to spend 40 plus hours a week somewhere else now that I'm used to being home all the time. Congratulations for doing it. I I couldn't. Uh, You know, during the early part of COVID, I tried working uh, on the dining room table and I was absolutely terrible. I, I, I just couldn't really do it. I didn't feel like I was at work. And, you know, I try to dress up and pretend, you know, that I was really working and it was just too easy because the, the couch was over there and I could just go take a nap in the afternoon and no one knew it because they couldn't see. So uh, anyway, I started coming into the office and I feel at least like I'm working now. So, But you are you are one of the more productive economists at the Tax Foundation and, and it really does seem to work for you. So I, I think it's a great tribute. And one of your specialties has been tariffs. And uh, I kind of like like this to- topic. It's been a fascinating one for us um, <laughs> and actually kind of humorous, you know, Former President Trump called himself Tariff Man, uh, which is kind of like Piltdown Man or something like that. Uh, so I, I think we could call you our Tariff Maven uh, or the, the guru of tariffs or even how about the Mythbuster of tariffs? I don't know. Something like that <laughs> probably fits. Huh? Kevin has called me the Tariff Avenger or the Free Trade Avenger, which I'll, well, I'll also take that. <laughs> very good. We can put that on your business card. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, explain. I think there are a lot of people that don't really understand how tariffs work. Are tariffs taxes for one? And then if so, what's the difference between tariffs and other types of taxes like excise taxes or sales taxes or so forth? But give us like tariffs 101. Yeah, so absolutely. Tariffs are another type of tax that are imposed by governments and they're imposed when someone imports a good. So right from the start, there's a big overlap between this tax policy and trade policy. The word tariff itself actually refers to uh, the schedule or a list of goods and the rates that are applied to them. And tariffs are really a type of protectionist policy, which means they're designed to shelter specific industries in the economy. And they do this by making foreign goods relatively more expensive so that consumers buy things that are made here rather than things that are made abroad. Of course, what that means in practice is that consumers and businesses face higher costs, which more than outweighs any small short-term benefit that a protected industry might receive. And so getting back to 
to the tax policy, tariffs are a type of consumption tax. Mm -hmm. They're similar to a sales tax. um, But one of the differences there is that when you pay a sales tax, you see at the bottom of your receipt, a line item that says sales tax, a tariff is charged at the business level. And so you as a consumer aren't going to see a line on your receipt that says this is the amount of tariff that was paid. Instead, that gets built into the price as the business pushes the cost of the tariff onto the consumer. That's one of the reasons that tariffs tend to be more distortive than something like a sales tax. Another reason is that tariffs can vary widely in the goods they apply to and the rates that that they're assessed at. So while a sales tax is typically levied at a pretty stable rate on a really wide variety of goods and sometimes even services, a tariff can be 25% on one type of vehicle and 2.5% on another type of vehicle. So there's really big distortions in the economy. So they're taxed essentially at the border, right? As things are coming in. Now, there's this notion that, and I think that former President Trump really tried to promote this concept that we're really just taxing the Chinese or we're really just taxing the French. And so those are the guys who are really paying this. So is that the case? I mean, are really the Chinese paying those tariffs or the French, um, the French cheese makers or wine makers? You know, who really bears the burden of those taxes? Yeah, I don't know if President Trump is confused about this or purposefully just likes to say it for, for a political talking point. But when we say that it's a tariff on China, that's misunderstood to mean China's paying for it. What that actually means is that when a U.S. business buys something from China, they have to pay a tax on it. Mm-hmm. So to get really specific, U.S. Customs and Border Protections collects import taxes. So when a U.S. registered business buys something from abroad, they have to look at a tariff schedule and see what rate they owe. And they typically just have 10 days from the time that their shipment clears through customs to pay the tax to CBP. So it is a U.S. business pay. It and it is the U.S. government collecting it. But, okay, well, let's take a step back, though. What, what about the the real incidence then of it? Uh, is it possible that French winemaker would have to adjust their price in order to remain somewhat competitive? So may uh, bear some of that burden, or does it fall all on me, the wine drinker here in the United States, when I buy that Bordeaux? To give a typical answer, it depends. There there can be a, a difference. <laughs> so you are a two handed economist. <laughs> <laughs> there can be a difference in that legal burden, the, the U.S. business that has to cut the check to the government and the economic burden who actually bears the final cost of that. With tariffs, we, we typically see that consumers do bear the brunt of the burden as the costs of the tariff are passed on to them. But you're right that other countries can face, or businesses in other countries, I should say, can face an indirect burden. They might slightly lower their prices to remain competitive, or those businesses in other countries might entirely miss out on sales if U.S. businesses find somewhere else to import the good from that wouldn't face the tariff. That's called trade diversion, where we see businesses changing where they order their their goods from to avoid the tariff. Oh, so this is where you know we've heard uh, cases of where uh, let's say U.S. steel makers now buying their steel from Korea uh, rather than Canada or China in order to avoid that tariff. That can also lead to more tariffs being put in place, like we've seen with specific goods like solar panels and washing machines that President Trump put 
tariffs on. Those weren't the first time tariffs have been levied on solar panels and washing machines. It's that the, the first round of tariffs became kind of ineffective for the, the stated goal because U.S. businesses started importing them from other countries. So rather than, say, importing it from China, they started importing from Taiwan or uh, South Korea. And so we had to put tariffs there too. And it just creates this cascading effect of more tariffs and more tariffs and more tariffs. There perhaps isn't a, uh, an industry that's been protected more by these things than, say, the steel industry. But I mean, we can get into sort of geopolitical arguments about whether or not we should try to punish the Chinese or other countries. But uh, there is this notion that somehow, you know, the benefits of tariffs uh, outweigh the harm. And, you know, how do you respond to, to those kind of arguments? I can understand some of those concerns, whether it's legitimate concerns over China's unfair trading practices, or even just the wish to see legacy industries continue in their importance. But the bottom line is that protectionist policies always come back to bite you. We, we have economic evidence of that. And I think the cascading tariffs example, when, when industries come back to ask for more and more and more protection, shows that they're ineffective policies. And the economics also tell us that the harm outweighs any narrow benefit. So when we put up a tariff where we're protecting an industry in the United States by shielding them from foreign competition. And the way we're doing that is by making goods more expensive. And so that means consumers have to pay higher costs. And in the instance of the steel industry, downstream businesses that use steel to make whatever their product is face higher input costs. And so that filters throughout the entire economy. If we save a few jobs in the short term, that comes at a really large cost to other businesses and other consumers throughout the economy. And then we also have to think about the long-term effect here. If we're sheltering an industry from competition, we don't generally see that they become instantaneously more innovative or come up with technological breakthroughs when they're sheltered from competition. They actually kind of stagnate. And so in the long run, it leads them to needing more protection because they're not keeping up with the competition. And certainly and, we've seen that in the steel industry. Exactly. And then when we're talking about concerns with unfair trading practices. As far as getting concessions from other countries, the evidence really doesn't seem convincing that we can get countries to stop their unfair trading practices or reduce their barriers to trade by going it alone and increasing our barriers to trade. <laughs> Typically, we, we see those improvements after sometimes really long and drawn out multilateral negotiations or by using like the dispute settlement process with the World Trade Organization, not by implementing our own um, policy policies that, that reduce trade and also hurt our consumers and our businesses here at home. Preparing for this reminded me, I, I kind of went off and did a search for the term, uh, the origins of the term tit for tat. And apparently it's a British term, goes back and it means something, you know, equivalent retaliation. Uh, and, you know, that it, it really didn't have its origins in tariffs, but uh, it sure seems to go hand in hand, you know, and, and as you point out, you know, our tariffs tend to lead to higher tariffs from other countries as they just fight back with, with tariffs. And and then you see this sort of global escalation. Is that been the typical norm with all of these tariff battles? Yeah, a, a prime example of that tariff escalation is some of the back and forth that's taken place between the United States and China. So back in April 2018, um, the United States 
published a list of $50 billion worth of Chinese goods that we wanted to put a 25% tariff on. The very next day, China published their own list of $50 billion of US goods that they wanted to put a 25% tariff on. And then the day after that, the US hit back with threats on an additional $100 billion of goods. That escalation is obviously not good for anyone. Um, that that would hurt consumers here and it would hurt China. And in total, nearly $100 billion of US exports now face retaliatory tariffs. That's according to calculations from the Congressional Research Service based on 20 trade data. So it might be a little different now, but about $100 billion of our exports now face retaliation because of these escalations we've seen. Which makes them obviously less competitive as they're shipped abroad, which ultimately hurts the U.S. workers who are making them so forth. Now that you've kind of brought up that episode, um, you've been tracking these these tariffs from the beginning, uh, back in the early days of the Trump administration, and you and the team here created a, a tariff tracker, which uh, you'll have to bring us up today on how many times you have updated that tracker. Give us a little bit more background uh, on the tariff, the Trump tariffs, I guess, for lack of a better word, and how they escalated their use and what your tracker has found. In hindsight, it can seem pretty cut and dry what tariffs are in place on what types of goods, but that really glosses over the kind of craziness that has been the past two and a half years of back and forth and changing and revisions. Um, I checked with the team and we we made uh, almost 200 changes to the tariff tracker over the last like two and a half years. So I obviously can't fit a, a play-by-play in one podcast episode. I think it might take like four or five to, to go line by line to, to say what has happened. But if you want that much detail, you can go look at the tariff tracker on our website. We've tried our best to provide all the major updates that have happened when rates change or lists change or new countries announce retaliation. What it really boils down to is that President Trump used three different sections of what had been really rarely used trade law to impose tariffs via executive authority. So he bypassed the need for congressional approval to do these. Mm. Um, It used to be the thinking that these authorities should be placed with the executive branch because that would lead to more level-headed trade policy, but that kind of got turned on its head under under the what previous administration. What were they thinking? <laughs> yeah. so, so there's been various rationales for different fronts of the trade war um, from, like we mentioned, protecting domestic industries with tariffs on washing machines and solar panels to national security concerns that resulted in tariffs on steel and aluminum and threats of tariffs on automobile imports to concerns over unfair trading practices that led to tariffs on Chinese imports and imports from the EU, as well as threats on imports from France. So you can see there's lots of different fronts that this trade war has been waged on. And then in addition to all those tariffs that have been imposed, there's more that have been threatened and then it's invited retaliation. In total, we've estimated using our tracker that this amounts to about $80 billion in new taxes if we use trade levels that occurred before the trade war took place. Estimates now show that about 16% of annual U.S. goods imports are covered by tariffs. And then when we look at what's covered with retaliatory tariffs, about $460 billion worth of goods are caught up in the trade war. And that that's a lot. That's a that's a lot of a lot of things facing tariffs. And and the tariff rates range from seven and a half percent up to forty-five percent. So we're talking some significant distortions that can occur. 
Well, you you did something rather novel, which um, other groups have never done, and that you used our general equilibrium tax model to measure the the macroeconomic effect of all of it. Even going beyond that, not only looking at the sort of the revenue effects, but the impact on jobs, wages, and so forth. And and you know, give us an overview of, of what what you and the well, what the model uh, determined was the impact of these tariffs. Yeah. So the, that eighty billion dollars in annual taxes due to tariff escalations. We estimated that that would reduce the long run size of the economy by about 0.25%, which sounds really small, but in dollar terms, that means the economy would be about $60 billion smaller and have about 180,000 fewer full-time equivalent jobs. Hmm. Um, it's also important to note, and we see this from, from our modeling, that tariffs are regressive, which means that their burden falls harder on lower and middle income households. And that's due to just the nature of being a consumption tax um, and, and the patterns of income and consumption we see across different households. You know, that, I, let me stop you there for a minute, because that was an interesting point you made is that the impact on GDP, while seeming small at $60 billion, is almost as great as the revenues that it's that the tariffs are supposed to bring in. So it, it we basically have traded off revenues for the amount of GDP. So the economy is smaller in order to produce that level of revenue. Yeah. Economists sometimes use the term deadweight loss, which is just kind of like saying, poof, this activity disappeared. And we see that happen because these taxes, they reduce the incentive to work and they reduce the incentive to invest. And so people respond to that and, and they do invest less and they do work less. And so we see less economic output, which is a direct result of that tax. You know, I was reminded uh, we were, you know, talking about the steel industry, but during the early days in which the tariffs were being tossed around, especially on China and Europe, Harley Davidson, you know, the iconic American motorcycle manufacturer, was getting hit by uh, European tariff, and I think maybe the Chinese as well, which is like, you know, uh, a no-brainer. If you're a foreign government and you're looking to retaliate against the United States, what do you hit? You hit things like Harley Davidson. Uh, let's see now, Jim Beam, Whisper. All the iconic blue jeans. Yeah, blue jeans, all the iconic things. So what does Harley Davidson do? Oh, well, they decided to open up manufacturing facilities overseas. So the tariffs, or at least the retaliatory tariffs, but the original tariffs ended up driving them uh, overseas and a lot of their manufacturing in order to avoid. So it ended up uh, harming U.S. jobs, export, so forth. So it's one yeah, of we, crazy results that come. We also saw some some wild results with retaliatory tariffs targeting the agricultural sector in the United States, right. so much so that it led to what, what some people have called the farm bailout, where, where the Trump administration actually, I think, relied on a Great Depression era law to provide direct payments to farmers to compensate them for the harm that they received because of the retaliatory tariffs that that our goods like sorghum and soybeans face. Yeah, and our much of our soybeans used to go to China, and apparently that got cut off with all the retaliatory tariffs. And so, where did China start looking for soybeans? Brazil, Australia, other countries. <laughs> so we got locked out of that market. Mm -hmm. Makes absolutely no sense. Uh, you wrote an interesting blog a few months ago um, and you know, during the later part of the, the, the election, making the case that now President Biden could really provide businesses and households relief uh, by eliminating the Trump tariffs. And let's tease that out a bit. That's an interesting proposal. How would doing so help businesses and households? We've seen a real life example of how lifting some of these tariffs that the Trump administration put in place could help, especially in the, in the ongoing pandemic. So we 
of course, needed to import more PPE and other medical supplies and equipment to respond to, to the pandemic. And a lot of those were facing some of those high tariffs that the Trump administration put in place. And so in the midst of the pandemic, the Trump administration rather quietly um, reduced some of those tariff rates to, to relieve that pressure and provide um, kind of to relieve that pressure. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's I'm glad you caught that. I had not heard about that. I, I guess kind of shame on them that somehow in the dark of night, they had to reduce those tariffs because of the harm they originally imposed. Yeah. And I think that that same principle should be applied to the rest of the tariffs that, that remain. We shouldn't just constrain relief to things that we really do need right now, which is that that medical supply chain. Um, but that relief should be expanded to, to everything that the households and business, especially as we think in terms of a long-term recovery and getting businesses back up and running once once this public health threat is in the clear. This could really help supply chains uh, or eliminating those tariffs could help with supply chain. Some of the, the badly needed uh, medical and other supplies that U.S. companies and, and healthcare workers might need. Yeah, there's that direct impact. And then there's also kind of the broader consideration that there's just been so much uncertainty over how to structure supply chains and, and whether relationships are, are going to be hurt or long term going forward because of all the uncertainty about where trade policy headed. So I think having a little bit more certainty um, would also help businesses make investment decisions going forward. You mentioned that t- Trump used executive authority to implement the uh, tariffs. Can Biden now imp- use the same authority to take them away? How does that work? Yeah, that's right. Um, he wouldn't need congressional approval to take them away, which is another reason that, that this could offer a form of faster relief than something that would need to go Negotiated in Congress, um, which we have seen can can be really tough and take a really long time, whereas something like relieving the tariffs could could be done relatively quickly. So it'd be like an instant eighty billion dollar a year tax cut. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. That would be that would have quite an impact on the economy. Or it would definitely be a positive uh, development if if that's something that that the Biden administration decides to do. Well, I would think as the economy is struggling to 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 get back on its sure footing after the COVID crisis and the ongoing going crisis. That would be one of those things that have to put at the top of the agenda in order to try to get the economy going. I think there's a, a bit of hesitancy to do that. Um, just we, we've seen uh, reporting that they want to kind of take a wait and see approach and and maybe see if they could use the tariffs that are in place now as leverage to, to maybe get better trade deal or um, improve trade with China. Whether that's possible or whether that's a high priority, I, I don't really know. But you, you would think that something that could be done at the executive level without having to go through Congress that would provide relief to households, especially to, to low and middle income households, ought to be something that's prioritized. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, maybe that'll be your next blog. Uh, <laughs> advice to the, to the Biden administration. Now, we've kind of danced around this topic, but I, I do want to kind of talk about uh, what I call what's called tar- tariff engineering. And this is one of my favorite topics. And for those of you listening at home, uh, go to your favorite uh, search engine, do a search for tariff engineering. It's entertaining, at times humorous, and other times just absolutely perplexing. But, you know, you were talking about the 200 and some changes that your tariff tracker, you had to change in the tariff tracker. 
I can only imagine if being a manufacturer or an importer having to go through that same exercise and keeping up with 200 different changes. But what, what these uh, importers do, or at least the manufacturers, is what they call tariff engineering. And that's where you they design these products in such a way that they pay lower tariffs. And as I was doing some searching around, you see some really fascinating cases. One of my favorites is the chicken tax of the 1960s. And this is a case that, number one, it's still going on, <laughs> where Europe imposed a tariff, a uh, 25% tariff on U.S. chickens uh, in order to punish us for something, or I guess limit the supply of U.S. chickens. So we retaliated by putting a 25% tax on imported vans and trucks, light trucks from Europe, largely to punish like Volkswagen and so forth. Well, flash forward from the 1960s to today, and you see the ramifications of this even even today. Ford Motor Company, for many years, was making delivery vans in, uh, first it was Hungary, and then I think they, they moved their, their facility to Spain. But these delivery vans were coming over to the United States uh, with actually seats, bench seats in the back, and glass panels to make them look like, well, what they were uh, allegedly imported as passenger vans. But that gave them a lower tariff. I think it was, what, 2.5% uh, compared to the tariff of 25% if they were actually delivery vans. Well, they'd come off the boat and they'd drive them over to a warehouse nearby. And these guys would pull out all the bench seats, put in panels instead of the glass, and then they'd drive them off and they'd be delivery. And this went on for years. Well, I guess uh, the government got wise to this and uh, finally, I think, uh, opened a case against Ford. And I think that's, uh, they lost the case, I think, but they're, that's being litigated uh, today. But it kind of gives you an illustration of the extent that companies go to in order to avoid these kind of things. And you know, there are other examples if you if you look around. Uh, Converse tennis shoes uh, are imported and they have a layer of felt on the bottom, on the soles of, of the shoes. And that way they're imported under the guise of being bedroom slippers rather than ten and they pay a lower tariff than they were classified as sneakers. Another one, uh, Columbia Women's Apparel puts little pockets uh, on the bottom of their shirts. And you go, what the hell is that? Why is that there? Well, having a pocket on your shirt below the waistline qualifies it as a different kind of garment. So it faces a 16% tariff rather than a 27% tariff. And then another one, uh, Marvel Toys. They actually, uh, they got challenged by this and won. And they argued that they, they, this is back after some movie came out. They had these action figures that they claimed were toys, but the government said, no, they're doll. And Marvel said, well, no, they're not dolls because they're not really based on real people and dolls are based on real people. And so you get into this hair splitting. Well, Marvel won, and so their action figures now face a 7% tariff, not a 12% tariff. So it gets into this kind of ridiculousness. But these kind of cases, I think, are, are wonderful because they show, number one, the extent in which people will go to to avoid tariffs or tax, frankly, mm -hmm. and the creativity that's required in order to do it. But it also shows you the wasted energy that goes into this because you've got all these engineers that are trying to to basically game the tariff rather than actually just produce real good. And and that's maybe the bottom line. A ridiculous. I don't know. Have you seen any cases like that? Not tariff engineering, but what you just said, the the gaming the system and the, the wasted energy makes me think of uh, the exemption process, which is kind of a similar thing. Industries 
will ask for exemptions to these tariffs. And they're, it's totally arbitrary whether they get them or not. Goods that essentially look like the exact same thing, but maybe have a different legal definition. One will get excluded from the tariff and the other has to face the tariff. And it, and it just gets back to that wasted energy and mm-hmm. a little bit of cronyism. Maybe if, if you have a connection, you can get an exemption. If not, too bad, you have to pay the tariff. And again, it just it shows the wastefulness of, of the policy. And we consumers pay the ultimate price. Well, uh, let's wrap it up. And do you have any predictions for uh, tariff policy 2021? Where is it going to go? I predict we won't see any more tariff escalations by tweet. Um, I'm less certain certain whether we'll see reductions, but I I think we'll at least have um, no more dramatic escalations like we've had over the past few years and and maybe some more certainty for businesses as as they're trying to make decisions about um, global supply chains, trade, and where to import their goods from. Well, thank you, uh, the Tariff Maven and the Tax Foundation, Erica York, for joining me uh, once again. Uh, we look forward to seeing how this policy goes. It really is a fascinating one, and I think uh, illustrative of how government policies can really mess up both trade and economic policy at the same time. Uh, so thank you very much for joining me. And uh, uh, again, I'm Scott Hodge, president of the Tax Foundation. I look forward to having you join us again down the road uh, with another Tax Foundation podcast. Thank you, and be safe. And that wraps up this episode of The Deduction. We'd love to hear what you think about this podcast. Please let us know at taxfoundation.org slash podcast.